Welcome to Fear and Greed, the week ahead. I'm Sean Aylmer, and as always at this time on a Monday morning, I'm joined by economist Stephen Kukoulos. You'll find him at thekook.com, T-H-E-K-O-U-K. I hope you know how to spell that by now. I've been saying it for about three years. Thekook.com and on Twitter, or and on X, using the handle thekook, Stephen the Kook Kukoulos. Good morning. Good morning, Sean Aylmer. Mm, thank you very much. Uh, a very big week this week with inflation numbers coming out, but let's just briefly check in on what happened last week. We had Michelle Bullock making her first speech as the Reserve Bank Governor, also Labor Force stats. Yes, and the, we'll, we'll kick off with the Labor Force numbers because they were something of a mixed bag, something for everybody, as they say in the classics, because we had a, quite a weak employment result, only up about 6,700 people. The participation rate fell away quite sharply for a month-on-month reading. I think that's just the monthly volatility in the way that the numbers are calculated. But the good news, I suppose, is that we had the unemployment rate dropping from 3.7% to 3.6%. So the employment momentum is being lost, I suppose, in the economy, but the unemployment rate isn't going up. So that was the interesting thing about the labour force data. So I think they added not much to the whole debate. You know, the economy is clearly still slowing. The labour market has probably passed its best, but it is not deteriorating at any sort of alarming pace. And I think Michelle Bullock, when she spoke last week, look, it was a good speech. It was refreshing. It was um, uh, really cutting through the issues that I think also came out in the minutes that were released of the RBA board meeting for early October. And they're not quite ready to hike interest rates, but... If inflation doesn't fall as quickly as they like, they will hike. If it does continue on the trajectory back to the target range, they'll sit tight. So, you know, it's one of those ones where, like all mere mortals, they're going to be watching the inflation data emerging and, of course, with an eagle eye on what's happening in the rest of the economy. So interesting times for the RBA. Okay, so that brings us to this week. Big day Wednesday. We have the September quarter consumer price index out from the Bureau of Statistics. This is kind of the big one, isn't it? Bigger than Ben-Hur, bigger Ooh. than big. It's it's huge. And, okay, we often can get carried away in economics with one monthly or one quarterly number. And this is just the September quarter CPI, yeah, the inflation data in the quarter. But given what the Reserve Bank has been saying, Michelle Bullock as governor, as I mentioned just a second ago, in the minutes of the, of the earlier board meeting in, in October, if there's any material upside surprise in these results on Wednesday, that the, the rate hike decision is well and truly on the agenda well, for Melbourne Cup Day, as we like to say, and upside surprise would be something above about 1% or 1.1% for the headline CPI quarter on quarter, and for the trend mean a similar sort of result. So if we were to get a 1.2 or a 1.3 increase quarter on quarter, yep, it's game one for the rate hike. If we get a 1 or a 0.9, that's broadly consistent with the RBA's forecasts. And again, in concert with the slightly softer labour market numbers that we saw last week, it had just reinforced this, you know, on hold, but with a cautious rate hiking bias from the Reserve Bank. Okay, just clarify, when you say quarter on quarter, you say 1% quarter on quarter, you're talking about September quarter compared to the... June quarter. Yeah, right. So it's kind of the idea that you can multiply that by four times and you're getting the annualised pace of inflation? Correct, yes. Okay, so you mean you get a 1.2, 1.3, suddenly you're at a 5% plus annualised pace of inflation. The Reserve Bank wouldn't like that. Otherwise, you're under 4%. I mean, if you can get 0.9%, you're under 4%. 
they wouldn't be too, too worried about that. And the path is lower. Yes. So, and it's and that's and it's as simple as that. You know, the uh, in theory, with the four hundred basis points of rate hikes that were delivered since uh, May twenty twenty two, May last year, you think that the economy and the inflation momentum would be falling. However, these numbers in the latter part of the quarter. Uh, pick up a lot of this oil price, the petrol price shock that we've all been seeing when we've been filling up our cars and paying, oh my goodness, you know, $2.10, $2.20 a litre. That feeds directly into the inflation numbers. Now, uh, I, th- I think as we discussed a couple of weeks ago, or it might have been with Jen that we discussed this, that yeah, the RBA would not be hiking solely on the basis of a petrol price increase because, yeah, the oil price globally is so fickle and, you know, yeah. goodness knows what's happening in the Middle East and the supply of oil over there. It's, in, well, it's such a extraordinarily difficult thing to to analyze i suppose but just as quickly as it went from 75 to 90 dollars a barrel it could fall back down and you wouldn't want to be hiking rates and then find that there's some sort of peaceful resolution and the oil starts getting pumped again and the oil price falls again so th- that's where there's the next nuance to this number so i don't think we'll be able to just have that knee-jerk reaction when the number comes out at 11 30 uh, eastern summertime uh, on wednesday We'll need to sort of work out why it was a bit up or why it was a bit down, depending, of course, what the result is. Okay. And you mentioned the Middle East then, and Michelle Book did mention that last week. Obviously, a you know a humanitarian crisis in terms of the economy. It probably the I mean higher oil prices tends to hurt economic growth. I suppose that's what I'm trying to say. It's a tax on growth, you know, and whether you're a business person or a householder, uh, it's one of those things that's really a non-discretionary spend. I suppose we could catch a bus or a train and, and leave the car at home, but really it's a non-discretionary thing for, well, for transport companies as they shuffle goods around the economy and we fly up and down and around the place. So, yeah, so oil is one of those ones where the higher the price, it actually does dampen the economy, yes, it feeds directly into higher inflation. And I think as we learned from the, gosh, the first oil shock in the mid-70s, you know, you don't hike interest rates because of that sort of outcome. A little bit like the floods. You know, remember, gosh, uh, 18 months ago, two years ago, when we had the floods in Lismore and lettuce prices got to $10 and, you know, bean prices were $45 a kilo, those things. Yeah, you're not going to hike because of that, even though it does mean higher inflation. It means that we substitute away from lettuces and we eat cabbages instead or something Cabbage, like that so, yeah, but no. there's not quite that flexibility when it comes to oil so of course you look at it of course there's some second round effects when oil prices go up but when they go back down again which history shows us when they, they tend to go back down after one of these little episodes when they move higher you know you don't want to be hiking interest rates then all of a sudden you find you know a month or two or three later the oil price is back down you've hit your economy really hard even though that inflation pressure was well as they say in the classics transitory transitory Stephen, have a great week and thank you, Sean. You too. That was economist Stephen Kukulis, better known as The Kook. You can find him at thekook.com and follow him on X using the handle The Kook. I'm Sean Aylmer, and this is Fear and Greed, the week ahead. 